Alrighty, welcome back to the Celtics Lab Podcast, brought to you by BetOnline.ag. I'm your host, Cameron Tintai. I'm joined by Dr. Justin Quinn, and for the YouTube folks, a dancing Alex Goldberg. Hello. Because the Boston Celtics are on to the Eastern Conference Finals. Let's go! We like to keep it measured and reasoned here, but yeah, we're pretty pumped. So, it's Tuesday evening. We have game one in just a few hours, so we're going to try to talk about the conference finals at a, at a wider glance rather than get granular on this episode of the podcast. But before we do any of that, we should carve out some time to talk about the series we just saw. So uh, for anyone who somehow doesn't know, the Celtics just took the defending champs, Milwaukee, Milwaukee Bucks to a game seven at home. That was pretty important. They cleaned their clock a little bit and onto the conference finals we go. Alex, the Celtics were down 10-ish points early on tell me about your emotional roller coaster on sunday afternoon well i can tell you one thing is that i uh i have to own up to being incredibly wrong and vocally wrong on twitter uh in which i made a post uh where i asked grant williams to stop shooting the ball and put it on the floor uh grant williams was one of three at that point and his shot release did not look confident and i was worried that the bucks would take that 10 point lead and expand on it if the Celtics did not get a little bit more physical with them. Turns out I was wrong. Ime Udoka and Grant Williams were right along with uh, Celtics Bimbo, Twitter user. Uh, good job. You were correct as well. Um, Grant Williams should have kept shooting. He alleviated all of my concerns and nerves. But yeah, no, at that moment, I was, I was feeling really nervous. I thought that the Celtics, I was having flashbacks to the Eastern Conference Finals uh, game seven against the Cavs when the Celtics missed 500 threes and just lost the game because of that. Justin, were you as worried about the outcome of the game as Alex or did you feel more uh, more steady? Uh, strangely steady. My wife actually asked me why I look so calm and like looking back, I don't know because in inside I was in turmoil. I was certain it was going to come down to the wire and boy, it really didn't, did it? No, not at all. I mean, Alex, to your point, Grant Williams decided as such that it was not going to come down to the wire. But even if he didn't uh, tie a game seven best seven made threes, the Celtics kind of really had it in the bag. Um, huge contributions from Pritchard, obviously, but Tatum Brown, Smart and Horford. Smart and Horford didn't shoot that well, but man, they played their hearts out. Uh, Justin, you made the point that after game five, Milwaukee historically had an 82% chance of winning the series. Um, so the back of the napkin math is that the Celtics were not favored to win the rest of the series. Um, what do you think it is about the Celtics team that allowed them to come back from what has historically been a huge, huge deficit? Well, I think that in our pre-pod conversation, you actually hit the nail on the head with that, and that's three-point variance. We can look back as recently as the Bucks themselves in their last uh, year's uh, series with the Brooklyn Nets, where the same exact thing happened. And I think that there is some merit to the idea that with such heavy reliance on three-point shooting and the possibility of teams just going absolutely cold, as the Celtics did in this series itself earlier on, that that's something that can actually happen and shift those last couple of games. So I think that that combined with the absolutely stifling defense that we saw from the Celtics uh, put it in position for it to happen. All it required was Boston to shoot better than they had, and they did. I'm going to throw a third 
key variable um, into that mix. And I'm going to make Alex talk about it, which is yes, three point shooting was key. Yes. The defense, I, I mean, we, we can't say enough about the defense, but you, you buried one of the leads, which is Jason Tatum scored 46 points in a pretty important game six. Alex, tell us about Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown in game six and seven. Well, it's like I said on the kind of last pod, you know, I, I think Jason Tatum was the star of the show. He was really incredible, but I do want to give credit to the whole Celtics team for that game six performance. Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown were also spectacular when they needed them to be. Um, and, you know, I think that's just kind of been the story of this team in this series is that Jason Tatum led the way pretty much throughout the series, even in games where his shot was not falling at the uh, normal efficiency that it would be. Jason Tatum was the kind of rock that the Celtics went to on offense and defense. Um, they kind of went to him over and over again when they needed a clutch bucket or a stop or somebody to initiate offense and kind of unclog spacing. But everybody else had to respond to that. It's, a, you know, it's interesting because I think back to last year's series against Brooklyn, where Jason Tatum also played spectacularly well in that series against a team that they were frankly completely overmatched against. Um, but the difference this time is that Jason Tatum not only played well in a vacuum himself, but he played well in a way that raised the game of his teammates and allowed them to contribute and do what they do at the highest possible level. And in that game, in that series against Brooklyn, it was both a mix of, I think, Tatum was not quite ready to be that guy yet, a guy who can not only get his own offense, but set up other people. Um, but also the fact that the roster just didn't have that level of talent. And if there's anything that we can say about this Celtic squad, it's that one through really, I mean, Ime is running an eight-man rotation right now, but they have like nine guys who can really play and actually do something with the basketball when they get it. And I think that just becomes immensely valuable in a playoff series. And honestly, it doesn't have to be that they are career guys. They just need to be hot for 15 games, right? Um, with respect to James Posey and Eddie House and PJ Brown and players from the last iteration of great Celtics, they showed up when it mattered, not necessarily wired to wire for their career. So um, let me ask you guys this off the cuff. Graham Williams playing himself into maybe a hefty payday. Justin, what do you think the number is for the Celtics to bring Grant back? And what do you think he could fetch? Um, what is a, a pretty stingy open market this summer? I think we are looking at in a good contract range, a Time Lord-like deal as a best mm -hmm. case scenario. I think that the way that both his defense and shooting are going to be valued in today's NBA that he could actually have elevated himself to the top, like non-star, but top tier of non-star free agents this coming offseason. So I think that absolute worst case he's looking at is getting an offer for a full MLE somewhere that the Celtics will obviously match. Uh, yeah. I, I think that he's worth paying up into getting close to $20 million. I honestly do. Alex? I'm with you, Justin. And, you know, it's interesting because the Celtics have two guys this summer that I think they're going to have to think really hard about what they want their future contracts to look like. And they both play the same position and frankly play similar basketball in a lot of ways. Grant Williams and Al Horford. Um, Al, Al has played spectacularly in this playoffs. He's got one more year left on his deal um, and it gets a good bit bigger if the Celtics make the finals, in which case totally worth it. 
Um, but given the way that Al is playing, I think it's reasonable for the Celtics to think that they could extend him and add a couple more years onto that deal at the very least, as he kind of ages out of a like primary uh, focal role on this team, he can, can he can still be a very important veteran man, veteran mentor on this squad. And Grant is the kind of logical successor to the Al Horford spot in a lot of ways. So I would bet that you are going to be looking at some substantial extensions for both of those guys, Al for what he has done and Grant for presumably what he will do, which if that's the case, I mean, cap gets pretty tight because you've got Jalen Brown's extension looming after that. I mean, I think it's fair to say that all of the kind of big dreams of the Celtics going big game hunting for a third star or, you know, trying to kind of play around with all of these different, uh, you know, cap scenarios, it's going to be pretty hard for them to manage. I think just retaining the current squad as it currently stands is it's going to be an expensive proposition, a worthwhile one, but an expensive one. Sure. Let's put a pin on it there. I think, I think that those are both the right reads. Um, it really depends on what happens here in the conference finals. Right. And if, if the Celtics fizzle out, the calculus is very different than if they go to the finals and beyond. And speaking of the finals and beyond, I want to tell you that Jason Tatum right now is a plus 200 to win NBA finals MVP. And the reason I know that is because of my friends up at online.ag, the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. You can find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting, and of course, your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's easy to get started, so head to the website today or use your mobile device to sign up and use our promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts and just to reiterate, as we begin to talk about the Eastern Conference Finals, Bet Online has these players uh, as possible uh, NBA Finals MVPs. That would be Steph Curry at plus 190. Then you got Tatum at plus 200. And then the next highest on the board, Jimmy Butler and Luka Doncic, both plus 600. Jalen Brown at distant plus uh, two, uh, 2,200. And Smart and Grant Williams both plus 5,000. So, um, Let's keep that in mind that that's where the books think about this Celtics team as we talk about the conference finals. Um, Justin, why is this Eastern Conference matchup between the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics different than the 2020 Eastern Conference finals between the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics? In a word, or really two, Kemba Walker. Mm, Go on. More than anything, I mean, Brad Wanamaker. There are no obvious areas to hunt this team other than maybe Peyton Pritchard, who has proven himself to be a competent, if not great defender. He Mm -hmm. is the defender Kyrie would like to be at that size, roughly. So there aren't any obviously exploitable areas on the Celtics. And even the mildly exploitable ones, I've heard people talking about exploiting Derek White uh, as, a, as a potential mismatch. And I mean, good luck with that. I mean, you might be able to do that in the open floor, but like if you're anywhere near the, the, the cup, he's going to block that. I and mean, he's not a bad rim protector for a guard. He's one of the best in the league. Mm-hmm. Who are you going to exploit on this team? And then conversely, on the other end for the Celtics, 
Like both teams can score in a lot of ways, but the Celtics can hit threes across the board relatively better than the relatively few players on the Heat who can do it consistently. Like they have some very good three-point marksmen on that team, but not as well spread out. Or ones that are finding playing time. Hello, David Robinson. Uh, Alex, what did Justin miss? Um, the only thing that Justin missed is actually not on the Celtics side. It's that while Miami's shooting and half court issues are a big thing and they have been for a while this season on the defensive end, this is a much better Miami heat team than it was, I think in the previous iteration in 2020. And I say that primarily because of two reasons. One, that Bam Adebayo has emerged as one of the five best defenders in the NBA, full stop. He can switch on everything. He's incredibly disruptive, both on and off the ball. And I think the Celtics were not quite aware of just how good Bam was defensively in 2020. They should be completely and fully aware now. He is an excellent, excellent defensive player. And similarly, he's flanked by P.J. Tucker, who has been really, really solid this playoffs. And he was solid last playoffs. And he was solid the playoffs before. And he was solid the playoffs before. You get where I'm going with this. This Miami Heat team has got a rock-solid defense, and they are going to hang their hat on that end. They also have perhaps the best defensive coach in the game in Eric Spolstra and Jimmy Butler, who's not too shabby himself. There are some guys in Miami's rotation that in theory you can exploit. Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, uh, Victor Oladipo to a degree, but um, but their, their system is so good that it often covers for those guys. So I would say the Celtics should be heading into this series thinking about that 2020 series and considering that they are actually going to need to do a good bit more on the offensive end to execute at a high level and beat this team. So they have the personnel to do it. I mean, like finding a person who could beat his own on the last iteration of the Celtics when they met mm-hmm. was like finding gold. They didn't have Gordon Hayward. They, they have plenty of players who can cut to the basket. Now they have the shooting. Hopefully they have Rob. I think he's going to be a pretty big factor in this series. I think this team has way more answers on the offensive end than Miami does, and they are very evenly matched defensively. So perfect segue, Justin. I'll just reiterate, it's Tuesday evening, so uh, you're, you, the listener, have downloaded this after game one, presumably. Um, so we're going we're gonna to keep talking about this with really a wide lens, and I think that that's probably okay because, as Alex alluded to, these are two really smart coaches Um and as we saw with the Bucks series, it's not really about game one. It's, it's really about the adjustments and the totality of the series. So we can talk about whether or not we think this was a scheduled loss for Boston, the game that's about to happen. But there are a few injuries to consider. We don't really know what's going to happen for Rob Williams. Uh, bone bruises, especially on already injured knees, aren't always awesome. We don't know what's going to happen with Marcus Smart. Foot sprains can go either way. We don't know what's going to happen with Kyle Lowry. Um, hamstring injuries are finicky for older players. Um, and then really everyone across the board is banged up. We haven't heard much about Tatum's wrists, but his wrists um, was bothering him. We know that Vincent and Struess and Tucker and Martin have all had injuries of their own on the heat side. We know that Al Horford looked a little tired at the end of uh, the game seven with the Bucks. So we won't get the weeds more than this on the injuries, but we are cognizant that 
at any given moment, the, the personnel might change. But I think that that's a huge boon to, uh, to the Celtics. So we're going to talk about the keys to the series. And I'm going to start because I think a huge, huge key to the series is not just depth, but flexibility for Boston. Um, whether or not Rob is available, whether or not Smart is available, it's not that they have the next guy up, so to speak, to borrow um, some football parlance, but that Boston still has players available and looks to, to adapt. That if you bring in Pritchard to start, even if you bring in Grant to start, if you um, stagger Jalen and Jason more than you have because of an injury, it's not, again, that you have available bodies, but you still have different uh, ways to approach the game. Um, maybe Udoka would prefer to go seven deep with a fully healthy roster, but I don't know if that's going to happen this series or ever. Um, but more so than the Heat, I think Boston has guys on the bench that can come in and play like a starter. And like we saw with Derek White, play like a starter, trying out something new. Um, so I think a key to the series for Boston is tied to this injury stuff, which is Boston feels deeper, um, more talented, and really uh, flexible. I'm going to quote a quote that is attributed to Charles Darwin, but definitely Charles Darwin didn't say, but I like to say anyways, which is, it's neither the smartest nor the strongest who survive, but the most able to adapt. And when you have a deep bench, it's easy to adapt in the NBA. All right, uh, Alex, your key to the series for Boston. The key to the series for the Celtics is that they can't beat themselves in this series. Um, Miami's entire offense. So the big issue with Miami, and it's been this the way this way basically all year, is that Miami is not a particularly great half court team. Um, they have some players who can execute in the half court. Jimmy Butler is their main guy, but overall their half court team is so so. Um, what Miami does to score is they rely on their defense. They rely on forcing turnovers and getting out in transition. So if you're the Celtics and you're trying to play this team to the best of your ability, the key for this squad is that you can't beat yourself. The forced turnovers, trying to thread the needle with those dicey passes to Jalen Brown rolling to the rim or, um, you know, posting somebody deep and not being able to adapt off the, you know, when, when the double team comes and, throwing out these wild passes to people who maybe can't handle them. That's not going to fly in this series. The Celtics need to do a much better job taking care of the ball. They need to be really patient and diligent with their offense. They need to get good looks and above all else, they cannot beat themselves. Um, in particular, I think one thing that the Celtics might want to actually think about doing is in the Bucks series, um, they needed to get offensive rebounds. In this series, I think their transition defense is going to be a lot more important. So I would actually be considering, if I'm Ime Odoka, the possibility that maybe you give up some on the offensive glass this time around in exchange for getting back on defense and limiting Miami's transition opportunities. Justin, your key to the series for Boston? Coaching. It's going to be coaching. We saw a degree of familiarity with Ime Aduka with the last two coaching staffs he faced up against. Also, the players he faced up against. There is much less, if there is any coaching familiarity, if there are any players that he's coached in the past, I, don't, I can't think of any. And the advantages that were kind of built into the last two series that he had, he doesn't have in this series, at least to the same degree he had. On top of that, we all know Spo. Spo is one of the best minds in the game. 
And if you can find something that he can exploit, he is going to find it before you even realize you were doing it. And the question then becomes, can Ime adapt on the fly? Like he showed us in game seven that he can, at least when he feels comfortable. What mm-hmm. he does against a team that plays in a very different way than the last teams that he played with no real like baseline of familiarity on a player or a coaching level, that is going to be the key for me. And then, you know, the assistant coaches and the whole system around that comes into play. But I think that that's point very well taken. Um, Justin, I'm going to swing to you now for the keys to the series for Miami. So imagine this is the heat lab and we're looking at this from a South Beach lens. What does Miami need to do or what are they going to do to win the Eastern Conference Finals? Well, get Boston out of the game, as Alex uh, alluded to getting out in transition, playing to their strengths, uh, finding ways to hide their lesser players defensively uh, when it comes time for that. And more than anything, outworking Boston to the point where they start to question themselves, they start to second guess themselves, and they get in their heads because it's what they do. If they can accomplish mm-hmm. those things, and if Spo can keep Udoka and the Celtics out of rhythm through the series, that is their key to victory. Alex. Also, Kyle Lowry, oh. having him. Also, back. Kyle Lowry, that feels like a big one. <laughs> yeah. So, um, do we think, I don't think he's going to play. Do people think he's going to play? Again, does, I think he's going to play. I don't think he's going to be good. I think they're going to rest him for at least this game, possibly another one. Alex, um, do you think we see Kyle Lowry? And also, what's Miami's key to the series? I think we will see Kyle Lowry. I don't think we're going to necessarily see him for the first two games. I think in all likelihood, Kyle will come back. Uh, I would I would say maybe game four, I feel like would make a lot of sense. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I don't really have a good sense of Kyle Lowry's injury. Hamstrings are weird, but I think game, game three or game four seems likely to me. For Miami's keys to the series, I think Despite the big names, Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo uh, and all of those guys, Tyler Hero, six man of the year, the key to Miami's success is going to be their other guys. It's going to be their bench. Are they going to get something out of Max Struess? Are they going to get something out of Gabe Vincent, Victor Oladipo, Duncan Robinson? Who are the kind of deep bench guys that can show up for the Heat in this series? Because I think there will be some, and I think that what how they show up and what they are able to do when they kind of get there is going to be the most important kind of swing point for the Heat this series. If the Celtics can make it so that Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo have to do everything to beat them, then that's going to be a really, really, really difficult series for this Miami Heat team. But if Duncan Robinson gets loose for a game or Max Strew starts heating up, something like that, um, then that would allow Miami to kind of take a very different approach to the series. So their kind of deep bench guys are going to be, I think, the difference. Uh, I don't disagree with you, but I'm going to, it's going to sound like I disagree um, because sports, any game is a game of inches and random happenstance and luck and Grant Williams going berserk and things like that. But from a wider uh, perspective, the history of the NBA is the history of the best player wins out. And really, with respect to uh, outside of Shaq and Tim Duncan, that has been larger wing players. That's just how the game is played for the ultimate, just like the way that geography of basketball works. That's, that's what you want. And so I think the key to victory for Miami is Jimmy Butler. 
I said before game six of the Celtics box series that look, Jason Tatum's just not playing like an MVP and you need an MVP level guy to win. And well, he went out and scored 46 points that won that game, right? Um, I think that this title is won by Luca going nuts, Steph, and to a lesser extent, playing Draymond going nuts, Tatum going nuts, or Jimmy Butler going nuts. That if he can keep up this like 27 7 7 that he's posting in the playoffs, Yes. Well, first of all, I don't know that he can. Um, but second of all, that would be the the standard for how Miami gets there because then the other guys are elevated. If Jimmy Butler is closer to his his career average of uh, I, I don't know twenty four four and five, that's a little different. That's something that you can live with. But if he is that transcendent player, the way Giannis basically was the last series, or the way we've seen LeBron be again and again and again, if he can be that for five games. That's enough, I think, for Miami to overcome what is otherwise a talent deficit, as best I can tell. Um, so I don't disagree with you, Alex, but I think that th- they're intertwined, that Jimmy's got to be really, really, really good so that the bench can be really good. But if the bench is really good and Jimmy's good, it's not enough. Um, any final thoughts? I'm going to put people on the spot and give a, a stump speech prediction. Um, but any other nuances that we missed about the series? This presents a very different challenge for the Celtics in the previous two series where they were going up against truly dominant players in Kevin Durant and the Bucks with Giannis. This is going to be a jungle of the mind. The Celtics should, in in theory, be a more talented team. They should be in a place where they can actually take advantage of these matchups and win this series. This is going to be about mental toughness for them. Do they have the brains, the smarts, and the patience to get this win. I, I think they do. I think they can. But Spolstra is just so, so good at taking away your comfort zone. So this will be this will be the series that tests the mental maturity of this team more so than anything. There's also ghosts of the past to contend with. That mm-hmm. dunk by Bam is still living in Jason's mind. You mean the block? Yeah, yeah. That will be attempted dunk, I should say. Yeah, yeah. attempted dunk. <laughs> uh, there, the Bam, Bam is, I don't know how good friends he is with Jason, but he, he texts him on the anniversary of that every year to remind him. <laughs> Folks, I have a really important update. Go ahead. Mm. Boston Celtics have just released the injury report. Al Horford is out in health and safety protocols, along with Marcus Smart, who is out with a right midfoot sprain. Bad. Yep, yep that's bad. Um, that's not good. That's very, very bad. <laughs> okay, so we might want to reevaluate these predictions a little bit. Well, um, again, so... This is, this is a podcast that you can come back to all series long. And unfortunately, COVID is going to be a thing for the rest of the, the NBA playoffs, right? Um, we, can, we can kind of leave it at that, like that horrible parenthetical, but like the rate of positivity in Massachusetts is like nearly 10%. Um, and so it's not crazy that someone who lives and works in Massachusetts caught COVID. Um, I am not a doctor. Dr. Quinn is a different kind of doctor. Alex is not a doctor, but we know that the vaccines allow for breakthrough cases, even if you're boosted. Um, so hopefully Al Horford is safe and this is quote unquote mild, um, but that doesn't mean that NBA policy isn't what it is. So um, I think we'll end on that scary bombshell because there's enough we don't know about the series that, yeah. Um, 
So we will be back in a day or two with more updates, hopefully positive ones for the Boston Celtics. Um, we're not going to attempt a prediction anymore because the basketball gods would just laugh at us. Um, but we hope you like and subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And we will talk to you soon.